spend some time looking at the cross and and part of what we we're doing as we reflect on the cross is is reflecting on um, you know so often we find ourselves probably saying things God why don't you do this why don't you do that if you really loved me whatever and uh, it's easy to talk about God's great love and his goodness and all the rest of it and, and lose sight of just uh, the depth t- that he went, the lengths that he went to actually reveal himself. Um, it's very, very strange. I mean, Jesus is a one-off. His life, death and resurrection are quite unique. They've never happened before. It doesn't make sense. It's mind-blowing. It's way beyond our, our, our sort of faith grade, if you like. So most of the time we should be throwing up a hand saying, I don't get this. Which should actually validate the thing, not dismiss it. If God is all neatly packaged in our perceptions and lifestyles and and philosophies, he's too small. There's got to be lots of room to be surprised, lots of room to grow, lots of room to learn. Because the reason Jesus went to the cross and the reason Jesus was crucified was because he he blew all the paradigms of the culture in which he, he, he revealed himself and he offended them. I was reading, I'm, I'm reading through some, some books on the persecuted church and it, and it was interesting. One, 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 this person has been, has been reviewing and, and uh, studying why the persecuted church thrives because if, if you look at the world right now and you look at um, Christian growth, uh, your conclusion would be, if I were God, I'd say bring on the persecution. Because the, 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 un- the Chinese church and, and, and the churches under persecution are, are absolutely exploding. And I'm not, I, whenever we talk about this, it can seem like guilty stuff, and there's no point in that. It's more, what is God capable of doing? And, uh, but one of the interesting t- statistics that they said was the, uh, the group responsible... Number four for persecution of Christians is the church. That the church tends to, all the infighting between churches and all the infighting is, is, is a huge uh, dynamic in terms of Christian oppression. And so when, I just want to look at the cross and these three crosses, these three crosses where these thieves came alongside Jesus and uh, were crucified with him. Just to remind ourselves of why was the cross necessary. You remember at the beginning, God created the earth. He created everything in the earth. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm not one of these people, quite frankly, who says that everything in the Bible is exactly how God created. I, didn't, I don't really care. So you're never going to hear me talking about were there dinosaurs or not, or how was evolution. I don't care. I really don't care. I can't tell you how much I don't care. Um, I'm not interested also in talking about the end times for very long because I really don't care. And the reason I don't care is I don't know. And I think there's way too much speculation. So I trust God and Jesus with the beginning and the end. I've got my hands full in the present. So it's not about... So what's important to know is there is a creator and he has this whole world in his hands. And one day, as Bill Cosby used to say, he'd blow the whistle and say, everyone out the pool. And I trust him with the judgments. I trust him with being fair and just. And so at the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 1, he says, God, 
God made them male and female and he, God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I give you every... And then he just says, I give you everything. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And God gave human beings this earth as a gift and said, enjoy it. But in this earth was a snake. And the snake was Satan. And the reason God allowed the snake into the earth was because freedom comes with a price. Freedom comes with a choice. And so in everything he was given, he said, I will be with you. Uh, This is all yours. This is good. I give it to you. There was a choice. And he says, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the one rule he gave them, we've talked about this before, the one rule he gave them was to enable them to exercise a choice. Do we listen to God or do we just do our own thing? And that choice was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the snake slithers down and he's the fallen angel. He's the one who actually can only exist on earth. Um, and he says to them, God didn't really mean what he said. And God actually doesn't have your best interests at heart. Satan is not, he's, 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 he's crafty, but he's quite stupid. He says the same things to everybody. But in his stupidity, he doesn't have to say much to be believed. And so he just says, God didn't say that. And you won't really die. And so they ate of the fruit. And in eating of the fruit, they separated themselves from God. And they, the first thing they go was, I feel guilty and I feel aki. I, there's something, and when's he coming back? What time is he coming? Because for the first time, I don't want to see him. And they had no idea what to do with what was going on inside them. It's called guilt. It was called disobedience. It was called, nobody told me that this was going to happen. And of course, that's what Satan does. He never tells you what's going to happen. And where is he? He's disappeared. Mission accomplished. But what happened at that point was that the choice was, okay, we'll go for what you're saying. And as they bit the fruit, Satan picked their pockets. They were naked, so it's difficult to do that. But uh, he took the keys of the authority over earth that was given to them. He took the keys and he actually... And so God cursed the earth because he cursed now the hands that they had fallen into. And he says, now you will live under suffering. I, in my love, I tried to actually say to you, don't do this because you didn't understand the whole consequences. You know, it's like people, I'll use drugs because it's an easy one. I'll just try this, but it, you know, I'll, I, I'm in control. And you go down the road of, I'm in control, I'm not quite in control, well, this won't harm me, and then I'm a prisoner. could be anything. We're not nearly as strong and self-sufficient as we think we are. And so sin became our identity. We were prisoners, and we were banished from the garden, and the garden was symbolic of the presence of God. And God's heart was grieved, because he actually really loved Adam and Eve. But his justice said, if they come into my presence now, they will die because they have sin in them. They're impure. And I am pure. So we can't mix. No matter how much I want to, we can't. So he gave them the sacrificial system and he gave them sacrifice. He said, if if an, an animal dies in your place, 
then I will, we, we can at least have fellowship. And I'm going very quickly through why there's a sacrifice. So if you offer an animal, one of your an animal in place of yourself, I will receive that shedding of blood so that you don't have to die. You give an outward expression of your awareness that you are sorry. And so he said, as you live, you're going to repeatedly sin, so you're going to need to repeatedly be forgiven, not because I want to see a lot of blood. It's just that I can't own what you have to own. And so human beings had to learn how to live in the fear of God and begin to have these, these rituals. And these rituals weren't meant to be empty behavior patterns. They weren't meant to be things that you just do to please God. They were meant to be sacrifices that were given on a regular basis so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could actually have relationship with him. And so that went on. But what was happening when when God set people free from Egypt and the, and the lintel of the door was, was painted with the blood of the Lamb. That was the foretelling of Jesus coming. Blood is the symbol of forgiveness, sacrifice and forgiveness. And the blood is always in place of my life. Are you following me? It's, uh, you can see the hallmarks of God's justice in human beings. You can see the hallmark of God's justice in your own DNA. Whether you're Christian or not, doesn't matter. Human beings have this deep DNA about fairness and justice. Human beings everywhere, if, if somebody breaks into somebody's home, they want to know who did it and they want some justice. If somebody kills somebody, they want to know who did it, they want justice. Everybody wants justice. Because it's deep in us that we are made in the image of God. And God is a, ju- a God of justice interesting in verse 3 uh, verse 21 of Genesis after Adam and Eve have sinned God says something he says they must not be allowed to eat of the tree of life and live forever and the reason I think he said that was because if in your sinful state you live forever you're forever but human beings and that's why you go back to Adam and Eve are very ignorant of the big picture they're there's three dimen- we, we, we are meant to live three-dimensionally. There's the physical, there's the spiritual, and then there's the supernatural big picture. And those are always interplaying. And very often, most people are just living one-dimensionally, the physical. What I see, what I touch, what I taste, what I feel. And so they try and relate to God like that, and they're just trying to relate in a, t- in a, in a way that will never be satisfactory. And so when God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to try and open up those dimensions to say this is actually what life is meant to be. It's much bigger. There are many more dynamics going on than just what you see. And sometimes if you can see the three dimensions, it will give you hope in the one dimension. But if you're only living under one dimension, you will lose a lot of stuff. So in Matthew 16, I'm saying all that to say that then that's, that's how sin comes into the world and how human beings on earth become imprisoned and separated from God. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks the question of who do you say that I am? Most of us have probably read that. And that's where Peter does his declaration and the Catholic Church thinks they have their foundation. It's a wrong application in my humble opinion. Matthew 16 
Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi and he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You'll get to why I'm doing all of this in a minute. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The identity of Jesus and the declaration of who Jesus is is the key to everything. And with that comes power and authority for everyone who names the name of Jesus. One of the greatest robberies that has happened in Christendom in the West particularly has been that the professionals, the priests and the clergy have the keys and everyone else doesn't. Everyone who names the name of Jesus has the, the keys, has the identity, has the authority. What requires some humility is to know how to use them. So we go to the incident where Jesus... Well, no, I want to go to Romans chapter 5. Because when G- God sent Jesus and Jesus went to the cross, we, ne- we, we are understanding also that God always takes the initiative. Uh, one of the dangers we can be in is that uh, somehow we can make things happen. Now we can respond. As Heather was saying, you can actually prepare and open your heart so God has something to work with. But God has always taken the initiative. So when God sent Jesus and Jesus ultimately went to the cross, God was actually saying, you guys are so locked in your sin, you don't even know that you need me. You don't actually even know that you need a savior because you have no, you know, have no paradigm that you need a savior f- what, from what? Well, you are absolutely riddled in sin, which is like telling a fish you need to come out of water. My, my, I feel so at home in this water. How, why would I come anywhere else? I feel so at home in, this, in the skin and in the paradigm in which I've grown up that I don't know there's any other reality. Talking to this guy, I was interviewing these Chinese Christians and they said, are there Christians anywhere else in the world? Because they have no framework. Do other Christians get persecuted? And they, I, I put this in the trail notes that this guy was saying, you, you know, he was listening to these stories of people who were being persecuted and they didn't see anything wrong with it. They said, persecution is like a theology college. It's where we grow up. He was in one meeting and somebody said, don't listen to him, he's young and he hasn't been in prison yet. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There's an element of the normal is whatever you're used to. And so he listened to all these testimonies and he said, you should write these all down. They're amazing. And the guy took him to a window and he said, look out there at the sun coming up. He said, how many times have you sat, stood at the window and told your children the sun's coming up? And he said, I don't do that. They think I'm crazy. And he said, for us, persecution is like the sun coming up every day. It's normal. So we don't tell the right stories about just our life. Now that is the same for everything. God breaks in. Your and my perception of this world and who God is, is still incredibly limited. And the way we keep growing is keep on realizing that that is the case. We see through a glass darkly. 
So I encourage you, don't shut yourself down and say, now I know everything. And how will God break through your paradigms and my paradigms? Circumstances. Circumstances will always challenge our faith. Well, I thought you believed God could be trusted, then why are you worried? I thought you believed, then why? And you just fill in the blanks. That tends to be the way it works. And it either becomes an adventure of, oh, I'm going to learn something new, or it becomes resentful because God's not coming through as I wanted him to. So, Paul, you can't go deep with God without having to go deep with yourself. You can't go deep with Jesus and his spirit. I mean, you can be anointed with the spirit, but the spirit just pours over you because in you hasn't been dealt with. There are no shortcuts for anyone. It's not a threat. These are principles. Encourage, be encouraged. They're principles. There's no shortcut. Paul, when he was in prison, he wrote um, in Romans some powerful words. And I want to refer to them in Romans chapter 5. He's talking about the cross and the crucifixion and I I won't go into because Romans is very, there's lots you can talk about in every line. But he's talking about he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is at the end of Romans 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus has already died for you and me and everybody else in the world already been done he's already died on the cross for the sins of the world which means there's no sin that anybody has ever done that hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus and he has died for people before they recognized him and said oh thank you very much he died before they were saying that that's why it says while we were still powerless very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He uses this thing three times here. While we were still. While we were still. You see, for many people, they think they can earn something from God. If I do this thing and I do this right, if I I go to church, if if I'm nice to people, if I don't kill anybody, then God will actually, you know, because I'm a good person. You're not a good person. Not by God's standards. And so he says, while we were still sinners, while we were still God died for us, which is very good news because one of the reasons most people stay away from God is they either think he's going to be a killjoy, which is why knowing the character of God is important, or they think, well, I'm just not spiritual enough, I'm not good enough. And, and Paul says, how bad do you think you are? So do you think that's a problem? The reason Jesus came was for people like you and me, people who didn't think they were good enough because they're not good enough. It's the beginning of Revelation, actually. I mean, how many of us are sitting here with still stuff that we don't think we're forgiven for? 
how many times are we going to bring it up? Because if I was God, I'd say, for goodness sake, for God's sake, stop it. I dealt with whatever you're feeling guilty about long, long time ago. In fact, I dealt with it the first time you asked me to forgive you. You know who brings it up? It's the enemy. He brings it up to accuse you and say, just like in the garden, you don't really think God forgave you for that, do you? I mean, look, you're still struggling. And we have to learn how to say, because of Jesus dying death on the cross and his grace and his mercy, I actually receive his forgiveness. So I am forgiven. Many of us, we bring it up for one another. We won't allow forgiveness among ourselves sometimes. We harbor resentment. We harbor anger. We harbor frustration with each other. And then it never goes away. And you say, well, where's God in that? He says, well, I forgave you a long time ago. And when we come to God and we start raising our sins, he kind of goes, what are you talking about? Because I don't remember your sins. So why do you? So we're learning how to let that stuff go and walk in humility. Because Paul says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Now in this whole passage from chapter, in chapter 5, the first 11 verses, it tells us, um, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That kind of means if God went all to, the, to, the, to all the trouble of dying for our sin, you would think he had a purpose beyond that, that he was actually heading toward. He said, I died for your sins so that you could actually be forgiven and we could have a relationship and live this life together. That's the purpose of it. It's not to focus on your sin, it's focus on life. And I'm getting so tired of talking to you about your sin all the time. Let's talk about life. But you ultimately need both because if the sin is getting in the way, then you're going to have to look at it. The sin draws you away from God. That's why it gives us one another to help us on the journey. But all of this I've read about it from Romans 5 and I, I don't expect you to remember because Paul writes very intensely um, with lots of substance. Everything Paul writes about, he says, what has happened in Jesus? What Jesus has done? But it's still all what God has done. We have to make it our own. And so we come back to these thieves on the cross in Luke. That Jesus is being mocked, he's being ridiculed, he's being traded for Barabbas, who's another thief, when Pilate stood before everybody and said, who do you want? So religious leader said, we'll have Barabbas, thank you, because Jesus is challenging our authority. And so their belief in God, you can believe in God and crucify Jesus. When Jesus comes up against what I believe, then I'll crucify him. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Everybody here has blood on their hands. Every single person here has crucified him. Multiple times. No, we haven't. Yes, you have by doing nothing. Well, I'm not going to try and work out how that works. I'm just saying, I know I'm guilty of it. If I am, you darn well are too. Because God's ways are not our ways. And our tendency is to take the parts we like and then we say, that's enough. And God says, follow me with your whole life. But I can't give you my whole life because I like this part of it. And if I give you this part of it, I might never get married. If I give you this part of it, I might never get free. If I give you this part, my friends might leave me. If I give you this part, so we don't trust him with everything. 
but if you could just work this part out, that would be cool. And then we find it not very satisfactory anyway because we're hedging our bets. So we're kind of lukewarm. And it's very natural and very understandable. That's why we need testimonies. We need people to encourage us to say, no, you can risk it because I did. I remember being there and I trusted God and it's so much easier. But there's quite a painful process. It's called authentically working out your faith. There's pain in it. And so these two guys were guilty, these two thieves, and they came and they, they, they carried their crosses or the crossbars of their crosses uh, to, Gethsemane, to, to, to Golgotha with Jesus. And they're criminals. And uh, Matthew and Mark both talk about these criminals hurling insults at Jesus. Jesus is on the cross, crown of thorns, naked. And they're all ridiculing. I mean, everybody's ridiculing him. The soldiers are mocking him. People going by saying, you say you're the son of God, big deal, stand up and walk. Or come down from that cross, call down the angels. And Jesus might have said, you know, if I did what you wanted, you would be in trouble. Because you need me more than you know. That's the love of God. And you want to expand on the love of God? Have you ever had a child that's been hurting? child that's been in hospital, you've lost a child, first of all. How do you think the father was feeling as his son hung on that cross? This wasn't an academic because we carry in us the spirit of God. So if we grieve over our children, what do you think the father was grieving over his son? And the son at some point, he's not this God in human form and he knows everything. He's a human being at this point and a man and he says, oh God, this hurts. And then eventually he goes, it, it, before he's fin- it says it is, it is finished, he goes, why have you abandoned me? There's a lot going on at this cross. And in the big picture, it's God saying, he's doing it so you don't have to. He's taking upon him the punishment. You see, by our standards, we have a very low standard of integrity. By our standards, oh, you know, you're a good person, you'll get through by God's standards. He goes, you're not close to what I created you to be. You're conditionally loving. You're very selfish most of the time. Your kind of spirituality is, is pretty shallow. You pretty much like your comfort. There's a lot about you that's going to be incomplete until you get to heaven. But I love you. I adore you. And I know why that is going on. So you need help. And my son has come to make up the difference, to basically go to that cross for you. And you see, God initiates because if we have the courage to go deep within ourselves and also to go deep with him, it will also release the response. If you don't go deep with God and you stay on the surface, you won't have any response that brings life. You'll just have religion. So you have to be able to look at your unworthiness in order to see how he has gone to the cross for you and then forgiven you. And you have to be able to say, here I am, Lord, forgive me. And know what it's like to walk in forgiveness. To have a testimony. Jesus is being ridiculed even by these two thieves who are on either side, one on that corner, one on that corner, and they're laughing at him. And then Luke says, the one says, really in, in essence, I think, stop it. 
See, one of the ways that God is most witness to is how people live when they're suffering. Sometimes the most eloquent testimony to Jesus' presence is what isn't said. And these prisoners started off ridiculing and laughing, but this one, I think, was watching. And I think as he watched, he saw in Jesus something he had never seen before. Jesus didn't fight back and ridicule him and insult and swear at people. He didn't say, if you only knew why I was doing this, you would be up here, you jerk. And if I came off here, the first person I'd kill is you. He didn't do anything because he saw them as blind. He said, they don't have a clue what they're doing right now. But that's why I'm here, to give a revelation. But it's not going to happen right now. I've got to trust my Father with the fullness of the revelation. Sometimes you and I are in circumstances where nothing makes sense. And that's when you need to trust. It will, but not today. And you had these two men who were to be condemned for their sins. And the one stops and says, I'm seeing something here. Something's happening here that I don't understand. And the other one's just continually mocking him. And so the man says to Jesus as he's dying, he sees the love of God, I guess, in a crucified, bloody, naked figure. And he sees something of a presence that he can't put words into. And he says, we have done things that are wrong. We deserve to be here. This man doesn't. And I don't necessarily understand even what I'm saying. But Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus could quite easily have said, if any time is not a good time to start talking to me about salvation, it's this one. I've got enough suffering going on right now. I've got enough issues. You want to see the love of God? On the cross, he has ears to hear. One of the hallmarks of God's spirit is ears to hear other people. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The first shall be last and the last shall be first first guy through the gates is that criminal. What's happening? I was driving home this week and I was thinking about these three crosses and these and I think God gave me a picture. He kind of said, you, you want to know what the gates of heaven look like? And so he said, there's a prisoner hanging on Jesus' left. There's a prisoner hanging on Jesus' right. And those are the gateposts to the kingdom. And Jesus is in the middle where the gates shut. And those gates have been shut since they were cast out of Eden. When Jesus hung on the cross, he is the key. He is the lamb. His blood is shed. So as Jesus is on the cross and as he gives up his life, there's a click. The gates are unlocked by his blood. The entrance into the kingdom is narrow through Jesus. The one on the left, well, let's go to the one on the right, is the one who's ridiculing him and mocking him. His stance is, my life sucks and I'm in trouble and and God hasn't turned up for me. And even if God is right here, I can't see him. And he's not looking anything like I would think he would be anyway. He looks pretty weak and ineffective right now. And I'm joining in with everybody else because 
he's so absorbed in himself and in his own suffering and in his own anger, he misses it. It's right there. This one comes to a revelation, I think, through the whole process. There's something different. He doesn't understand it. He just knows, I'm not going anywhere and I have nothing to offer. I am guilty. But on the profession of his own guilt becomes a revelation of somebody who maybe he can set him free. I don't think he has the language. And he says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And on the basis of his revelation and his ownership of his stuff and his cry out to Jesus, Jesus is all too happy to go, you'll be with me today. That's all I need. Faith of a mustard seed. Humility. And so on that testimony, one of the gates swings open. He says, enter. How does the gate swing open? You respond to the initiative of God. You respond to what he's done on the cross. And you have access. You don't respond. It stays closed. And the, that, that gate is unlocked, but it's closed because you're not saying yes to what Jesus has done. The yes comes with a revelation of your need for a saviour. God has done everything possible for us to know him. And then he says, now it's up to you. And he says, as you go into that kingdom, you have the keys. This is like the entrance to the promised land. He set us free not to just get in the gates. Some people live around the gates. He says, you have the keys. I have keys here that are uh, for every... I have access to every room in this building. If they're in my pocket and I have access to every room in the building but I never take that access, there's not much point in me having the keys. A lot of people walk around with the keys in their pocket but they never use them. He said, you have been given authority because of what God has done in Jesus. It's called grace. Nobody comes through this gate because of what they've done, how good they are, how bad they are. Nobody comes through it's only because of the blood of Jesus. There's no hierarchy. You all come through as children. That's the good news. Nobody's too bad that they cannot have access. What keeps people away is blindness or is anger or whatever. There are many people who have said yes to Jesus and they haven't entered into the gate. As I think... Uh, was being spoken about last week, Michael was talking about it, is the cross is the gateway into life on earth as in heaven. It starts with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So if you don't think you need a saviour, you'll, you'll never experience the presence of God. The beginning of God's presence leads us to repentance, which just goes, Lord, I'm not worthy, like this prisoner. I deserve to be here. I deserve, I'm not worthy the more worthy you think you are in your own way, in your own lifestyle and the choices you've made without God, the more you are like this, this criminal on this side. You're trusting in yourself and you will stay outside. So our mission as a church is the one who would give his life and unlock the day gate and invite us in and say, today you will be with me in paradise. If that's his response to that criminal, he must be an amazing person of enormous compassion and great kindness. And why would he die for me to then screw up my life? I've already done that. 
and I continue to do that. The trouble is, I want him to, I want him to say yes to me, and then I still want to do what I want to do. But now I just have quick ways to get forgiven again, and I keep saying sorry, sorry, sorry. And God starts saying, no, let's walk together and I'll lead you into something much more than you ever imagined. The cross is the gateway to the kingdom. And everyone's invited. And I want to encourage us this morning that you know your responses, my responses are important. Today you will be in with me in paradise. I mean, that's, that's under five seconds for eternity. When you ask God something, he says yes to the things that will bring life and he says no to the things that won't bring life. But you want to live in response to Jesus. That's why when I, we do communion here and we have in the banner outside, our first mandate is to be a family. Everybody's welcome to be at Jericho Road. But our desire is that in our family life, each person will encounter Jesus for themselves. And encountering Jesus for themselves will, will experience personal love and acceptance like they've never experienced it and then be motivated to start saying, I need to look at my lifestyle. I probably shouldn't be sleeping around. I should, probably shouldn't be taking these little acid trips every now and again. I probably shouldn't be stealing. I probably shouldn't be watching this pornography. I, they, they, all these kinds of things follow on. As Jesus, the light starts coming into our lives, that's why there's not a lot of condemnation here. It would be very easy to preach sermons. You've got to smarten up your life. You've got to start sleeping with so-and-so. You've got to start doing this. You've got to get your act together. Which is very common. Now you do, by the way. <laughs> but it's not a good place to start. Because the G- I believe the presence of God's Spirit through Jesus and through people who care about us will cause us to begin to start saying, I, I want to change. I'm struggling, but I want to. So when I say to everybody, everybody's welcome up at this table you know, who want to follow Jesus. I don't say everybody who's got their life together come up and follow Jesus. Now, traditional church, you better be baptized and confirmed before you can take communion because it's given to you as part of the body of Christ. And, and there's truth to that. We're just leaning towards the grace of Jesus that had broke bread with his disciples before they really knew what they were doing. So... What am I saying today? What what are you being invited into? The grace and love of God. Everything that you're struggling with, invite Jesus into and talk to him about it. And if you're a parent of a child, how many conversations have you had said, just listen to me now and when you're older you will understand. If you who are evil know how to discipline your kids, then why are you so rebellious every time God says, why don't you just listen? Will you stop justifying your stuff? Or will you stop blaming other people for the things that are going on inside you? I have gone to the cross for you so that you can come into a place where you and I can actually rebuild your lives in a way that will be amazing. So you live around the cross on one level because the cross is always with you, but actually our journey is into the promised land. Our journey is how to live on earth filled with God's spirit like Jesus did. Which prisoner are you? Which criminal are you? Are you a criminal? Or are you somebody who said, God, I own my stuff. And I have to say this every day. Not that I'm living in a criminal identity. I'm just still being set free. 
and living in the identity of somebody who is loved by God, but there's still traces of the criminal in me. And so I still need the cross and I still need the blood of Jesus. It's called being made whole. It's called salvation. Being sanctified is the word. Let's stand. Let's ask Jesus to continue his work in us. And you know, where, where are you this morning? Are you through the gate? Are you at the gate? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, Jesus, I, I deserve punishment.